Yeah, I was just actually reading your um, your latest article there that just dropped, the mysterious insignias. Yeah, yeah, that's a fun one, man. I enjoy that kind of stuff. Um, and it was one of those rare instances. I say rare because that's that's not fair. Uh, actually, I get a lot of inspiration from stuff like Twitter, but that one was actually inspired from Twitter. I think somebody had. Uh, they shared a challenge point or something and, and tagged me and it was asking what it was. And I thought, you know, this would be cool to cover because there is, you see a lot of the, and you see that in the article, you see a lot of consistent symbols um, and uh, you know, inside the classified and the black budget world, the, the people, you know, it's easy to forget that they're human beings there <laughs> and it's just like you or me. And, and so we could be working on something that's uber top secret, uh, but not necessarily as exciting as people would hope. You know, it's not the crashed Roswell wreckage, but it's top secret. So they have fun with it. And, uh, you know, there's inside jokes, but um, at the same time, they do have their own kind of hidden language that uh, that I kind of laid out there. And so you, and, and at least one of those instances with the, uh, the NRO, the National Reconnaissance Agency patch, they actually gave away <laughs> their classified satellite because they... Uh, you know, trying to be cute with this, you know, that's part of the game and the cuteness, you know, you're throwing, you know, the, the idea is that you create this thing and then, you know, everybody that's on the end sees it and he, 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 like it's telling a story. Um, but one, one pretty astute uh, amateur satellite watcher was able to figure out their little code with the dashes and uh, actually pinpoint exactly where their satellite was and figure out what it was. So, that one backfired. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that would. That was on the insignia. Yeah. They, yeah, they, they, they used, a, you know, they had, I think that particular one had an image of owl eyes. This was an owl thing, which owls, wizards, dragons, uh, these are very, very common, especially owls and, and dragons with satellites. Owls being watching, you know, the, the all-seeing wisdom, uh, dragons with their Wings, usually it's the wings outstretched, supposed to be uh, representing like covering the world. Uh, a lot of times they'll put it over a globe. But uh, that one, they included these little, just, I mean, very innocuous little triangles. And uh, that one, the owl eyes were looking down on the globe and the triangles were actually the orbital path of the satellite covering across the uh, African continent. And I think there was four triangles and and three of them were white and one was was black and you know one of these people who watches for satellites tracks them you know amateur this avocationist uh am satellite watcher just theorized that it was probably uh the black one represented it was replacing a satellite that had gone out and uh he was able to so he he kind of pinpointed where it was going to be you put a telescope in the sky after it launched and sure enough there it was <laughs> so wow yeah yeah never never underestimate the public no no i that's one of the things you know i i came from law enforcement before i ever started doing writing articles or any of this and uh 
I spent 17, almost 18 years in law enforcement. And then a year after that, working as an investigator and an intel analyst for a private firm. And I've been amazed uh, at the level of savvy and expertise, um, especially in the UFO world. I mean, I'm blown away. I'm like, shit, there's... Yeah, I was an instructor, still am a certified law enforcement instructor. And I'm like, man, you know, so I used to teach investigations and all this. And I'm like, dude, there's, there's some people that are, uh, no exaggeration, every bit as good as uh, some of the investigators I taught or worked with. So, yeah. Oh, really? No, oh, yeah. Some people are very savvy. So, so have you found like a, a common trait amongst these people that you think gives them that advantage? Gosh, a common trait. That's a good question. I think the common trait with anybody is, is curiosity. And I think probably the most important thing there is uh, people who aren't necessarily, they don't get extremely narrowed in into their own biases. We all have them. You know, that's it's uh, implicit biases dictate more that we do than we realize. And uh, especially when you're investigating something mysterious, uh, you know, it's like UFOs. Um, ultimately, you know, if we're all kind of be objectively honest with ourselves, unless you're one of those fortunate people who has had some type of sighting or experience, and some people have, you know, claimed some very dramatic things, um, you know, they probably have better personal proof, but in terms of universal proof that, that is going to convince anybody and everybody, whether they've had that experience or not. Um, we don't have that. So it's a mystery. And, uh, you know, th whenever something is unknown, it, it, it plays with the human mind, you know, even implicitly. We don't, the brain doesn't like unknown. And so you have to solve it for yourself. And for some people that is, okay, this is definitely aliens. Like this is for sure this. And then, you know, the next thing you know, it's down the rabbit hole and there's, secret treaties being made and there's bases on the Mars. Um, or the other side is just super dismissive. Like it's, uh, you know, I, skeptics is not a good term or it's not a term I like to use because I think everyone should be skeptical. I think that's what makes some of the best investigators is that they are skeptical. Um, but there's critics. And what I mean by that is the people that instead of like, well, let's figure out what's going on. It's, Okay, this has to be this. Let's fit it into that by any means possible. <laughs> and yeah, uh, the people who are great at it don't go either side there. They're like, no, nah, let's figure out what it is. I read uh, actually just recently the mm -hmm. uh, Stanton Friedman, a scientist investigates mysterious of UFOs. And in it, he just goes through pretty much a list like he shat on a lot of people in his book because he was like said he's stupid um they're not looking for ufos they're just looking for signals and then he just like goes on a list now the only thing as i was halfway through this book where he was uh pretty much ragging on bob lazar saying he didn't believe bob lazar's story when lo and behold the bob oh. lazar book shows up in the mail so i read this <laughs> and uh I, I think personally, Stanton had a, a blind spot when it came down to Bob Lazar. I think, you know, I don't know if it was he just didn't like the looks of the guy or because he wasn't like, a, I guess, certified scientist and, and his history got all erased. Because I know you're a big Stanton Friedman fan as well. So I was kind of wondering, like, what were your thoughts on that with uh, the Bob Lazar story? And I started kind of... Uh 
investigating or looking into the UFO topic, um, you know, probably, you know, you know, personally wise starting in 2011, but, but from the angle that I do now and the, and the stuff that I put out on the debrief, uh, really 2017, 2018. And, uh, you know, I tell people, I only report on and look at the government side. That's kind of my background I'm familiar with. It's comfortable, uh, you know, looking into defense stories and intelligence stories. That's what I was doing anyway. So this is my comfort zone. So I report on that. I'm not a UFO investigator, but I will say, uh, I said all of that to say that one of my biggest regrets is that, you know, I kind of entered the field then getting to meet people, reaching out, talking to people and Stanton Friedman was one of the people I regret. You know, it was like on my list of like, okay, I'm, I'm checking the boxes. I got to meet this person, and I didn't get it in time because I think obviously he's, you know, one of the kind of icons in the field. He's there with with JL and Heineck. Um, when it comes to Bob Lazar and his thoughts on Bob, I think you know, in a lot of ways, I share the same sentiment with Stan, and it's the same thing. Uh, you know, a lot of people ask, especially because you know my sole focus, at least reporting wise on the government. And so it's always, well, what about the crash stuff? What about the crash stuff? What about the, and, uh, you know, I tell people, and it's the same thing with Lazar, the claims that he made are extraordinary. Same thing as the claims that you have a crash flying saucer. Those are really, really extraordinary claims. And in fact, they kind of flow in tandem in that in order for them to be true, you have to have a lot of other factors in place. And frankly, um, it would it would truly shatter this idea of a, uh, a democratic society in the United States because you would have the government doing some stuff that uh, would really cut against and it would just kind of just fracture public trust in government, understandably. And so, you know, to me, we're talking about a story that is Watergate times a million. And when you have a story that's significant, like you've got, in order for you to believe it, in order for you to say, this is good to go, you've got to have some rock solid evidence to back that up. I mean, really good stuff. And, uh, you know, with Lazar's story, and actually the first article I ever wrote was on Lazar, um, believe it or not. And uh, it was getting a hold of his, um, the FBI or the police records from when his shop was supposedly raided or when they were filming the documentary with Jeremy Corbell. And um, there's just a lot of loose ends with his story that don't necessarily match up. Um, People often ask me, well, what's your overarching theory on Lazar? And I I say that there's, in having looked at him, looked at his background, um, spoken to people who were in his purview and close to him during the time that he was supposed to be working at Area 51 and everything. I, I feel that there, I have never found any evidence to support that he even worked at Area 51. Uh, that's not to say he didn't. I'm just saying what, what I found and, you know, nothing has kind of come forth that, that has said to me, okay, no, no, he definitely did that. And so that's where I'm at with it. And with him in particular, and I think some of the claims is, is that you know, his is a very kind of easily provable one if it's true, because he, he's either directly or indirectly uh, or people within his camp um, 
have made the claims that, you know, he has this element 115, like he snuck some out. That was kind of the crux of the documentary. And for me, I'm thinking, dude, if you've got this, like this is, you know, if you've got an alien element, this is game over for everything. Like you, like this is, you know, so it, to me personally, if I had that, I, there's not anything that's going to stop me from presenting that to the world because the idea that the you know, aliens exist, that, that an advanced species, uh, inhuman species that have visited Earth, this is, you know, we're talking about up there with the advent of language <laughs> in terms of breakthroughs. And so yeah. that's just so significant that, and I know kind of people go, yeah, but the government would kill him and all this stuff. And I think, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm just a different person because I'm thinking, I, you know, Thank goodness there were, you know, people who risked their lives during the Revolutionary War. Thank God there yeah. were people that risked their lives during World War II or, or our lives would be different. And so that's me. If I had it, that's what I've said. My, my blanket thing is if he's scared, hey, mail it to me or come give it to me and I'll give it to the world and then call Edward Snowden and ask him if he needs a roommate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I do a lot of reporting on Russia military stuff and, and kick them in the balls regularly. So I probably wouldn't be invited there. So <laughs> I may just have to go on the lamb. <laughs> You think you're ever going to cover the uh, Russian aspect of the UAP um, events? You know they're covered in it too. So, but you never hear anything out of the out of Russia. You know what a great question. And uh, uh, yes, I am. I am planning on covering the Russian connection and hopefully um, revealing a lot of stuff because I agree with you. I, I think that it, you know not just Russia, um, but that's one of the things that, that's become very fascinating for me. And, you know, me and my family moved to Germany um, coming up a year and a half ago. And so as my wife works for the Department of Defense, we had an opportunity to come over here. And so coming over and living overseas, it's, it's been interesting. It's been a great experience. And it, it when it comes to looking at the UFO topic, it's really interesting because it's very easy for people to think it's an American problem, mm -hmm. you know? And so you have to say, well, if the UFOs are only a, a predominantly American thing, well then they're American in some way, shape or form. Right. Um, but you realize that that's not the case and you start to become really intrigued because uh, at the end of the day, what, what ends up is that because of America and, uh, and Canada are, are free societies. So people can share information and, and the government doesn't restrict the control of the information. These are just places where it's more readily talked about. And so there, and there's a lot of mythos involved in it, but you'll find there's stuff all over the world. And, you know, to me, that's extremely intriguing. Uh, there's a study, and this is probably an article I need to do, but there was a study I read not too long ago. And this is a, you know, peer-reviewed academic study from an anthropo anthropo anthropologist whoo, um, who he was actually studying uh, remote Aboriginal tribes in Australia. And you know, the, the crux of that was not UFO stuff per se, but when he got to the specific region that he was in, uh, he discovered it was just inundated with UFO, uh, you know, it, in the community, they talked about it like it was a very normal thing. They discussed, you know, that, uh, you know, 
outsiders shouldn't travel at night because they could risk abductions. Um, mm. And that they would frequently see them over the, there's a large body of water wherever they were, large lake, and that they would frequently see them there. And so the whole study is, you know, he's interpreting how they're the lens of how they're viewing this as being aliens. Um, and he's basing it on the you know, very uh, slight and remote kind of contact that they do have with the Western world and movies and like Independence Day. And, but, you know, because his whole thing is looking at it from that cultural aspect, um, uh, you know, I, I need, it's on my checklist of reaching out to him because the one thing that lingers, and he ended up interviewing uh, quite a number of uh, people who said that they had witnessed UFOs in this remote tribe and, you know, from ages 15 to 80. And the one lingering question that's never answered <laughs> is, because well, he obviously didn't feel like they saw aliens but what the hell did they see <laughs> you know that's my thing is do you think they're all making it up and uh you know if they are that's weird it's weird that you would have you know billy bob in florida and then somebody in a remote aboriginal tribe both describing reasonably the same thing yeah you know I mean? <laughs> well even that uh that cave painting in australia called the sky people they're grays. You could clearly tell they were painting grays. And that predates, you know, anything else that we have. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, the idea of, you know, let's just, uh, we'll just lump it into like inhuman something, um, you know, coming from the sky, that's in the myths uh, and oral histories and just legends of civilization for as far back as we know in recorded human history. So this idea that there is something greater than us, that's not us, um, that, you know, has control of the skies. You, you can see that in you know, religious literature you know, going all the way back to ancient Samaria. And so it's an interesting theme because you're right. You, you look at it and say, it's easy to, look at it here and you have all these people that interpret it through the lens of modern society. Like we'll know what they really mean. This postmodern uh, revisionist kind of view, um, which, you know, I, I kind of subscribe to the school of thought of uh, Dr. Jeremy Narby, who's another anthropologist who did a great book on ayahuasca and shamans. And, you know, he embedded himself with some remote South American tribes and, you know, his big thing was that all of the real serious studies that have been done on shamanism was always done through this lens of, okay, well, what they really mean is this. So they really, you know, it's interpreting it through our eyes. Um, and he decided to go in and say, no, no, let me interpret it through theirs. What are they saying? And, and you know, he, you know, he discovered things that was just, you know, he didn't have an explanation for, you know, that these people... Uh, would take these ayahuasca journeys, which is, you know, just a hallucinogenic, a psychedelic. And, you know, they were able to gain knowledge about things they shouldn't have. You know, they shouldn't have even the, the correct way to mix ayahuasca. You know, these aren't people that have microscopes there <laughs> learning the chemistry of these plants. And <laughs> they're uh, winging it. Right. Yeah. And it was a very specific you know, you have to mix two different types of plants, one for the psychedelic and then one that uh, allows for the psychedelic to be absorbed through the stomach lining. So, you know, how the hell was it just trial and error? Did, you know, 
couple of them take a couple of drinks and, oh, he died. Not that one. Try the next one. You know, <laughs> they say they learn through these kind of, you could call them spiritual journeys, spiritual encounters. You could call them, you know, extraterrestrial encounters, whatever kind of lens you put on it. And so um, it is interesting. I, I take a nuanced view to it, though, because you'll notice, uh, you know, 2000 years ago, it could have been angels that coming down or right. You know, right. different things. And so nowadays, you know, very popular shows like ancient aliens, it's no, they were really meaning aliens, not angels. And I always caution, you know, interpreting anything because there's psychology, you have something called the law of recency, which means whatever is right now is the most like we're the smartest we're ever going to be. Damn it. We're the most. Uh, We've been saying that a long time. Y- exactly. And, and so the point being that 2000 years from now, you know, it could be ancient, whatever's, and they'll be looking back and interpreting. Uh, they thought it was aliens visiting <laughs> those stupid human. You know, so it's something. You know, I think that there's enough anecdotal evidence throughout the years, and maybe that's what um, kind of the approach that I take to any of it, having a law enforcement background. Maybe that's a little bit of difference because it always calls me. I'm not a scientist. You know, we don't. I never, I was a violent crimes investigator for years. I never solved a homicide by a science experiment. Like I didn't go, I think that he was shot with a 12 gauge. So what we're going to do is go grab that guy. I'm going to shoot him with a 12 gauge and try to replicate it and see if, you know, that's not, (laughs) we don't do science. We we may employ science with forensics and everything, but, but to solve a crime, uh, it's gumshoe investigation. And that includes not dismissing, anecdotal eyewitness testimony, you know, all of these things that uh, are understandably dismissed in science, but then also kind of the confluence when you look at UFO investigation, people dismiss them. And I, I always go, you know, maybe it's a, a testament to the American criminal justice system, but I've said before, I've, you know, very literally, you know, seen, you know, solve cases and have people convicted uh, for murder and sentenced to life in prison mm. on eyewitness testimony. <laughs> people are like, well, it's not good enough. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> I always think that if there is entities watching us, there's no way they want us to be in the community right now. If there is one out there, just because of the way we treat each other, right? We're, we're all willing to bomb each other to, to, to pieces uh, over imaginary borders much less when we get out there, right? Um, I think it's easy to say, that, and you do, <laughs> nail on hit in terms of we commit violence to each other, we hate each other, we do nasty things to each other for the stupidest reasons. I mean, totally pointless. Um, but the universe itself is really chaotic. And, and you, I learned that early on. I think I'd, I'd only been a cop. I was on the street, maybe a, not even a year. I remember... Um, we had this incident where this couple had come down. Uh, I worked in Savannah, Georgia. So right there on the coast, uh, but they'd come down from Atlanta, Georgia. They were looking to relocate. This is a uh, pre cell phone. Uh, so I'm not dating myself too bad, but uh, <laughs> pre cell phones back in the old days of, of paper maps, kids today will never see those. And so they didn't have GPS or anything. And they, they pulled over on the side of the road to orientate themselves, look at the map for their, out where they were. And a tree fell on their car and killed them both. I mean, literally. And I mean, it, 
horrific tragedy by any you know stretch of the imagination. But that was you know this kind of uh, clarion call and moment when I realized, okay, life's just really crazy. And and you know <laughs> I'm not you know don't start smoking crack and and doing crazy stuff. But at the same time, you know realize that enjoy it and everything and that. You know, what's the likelihood that somebody pulls on the side of the road at this exact moment, some giant old oak tree falls. And so, you you know, there is some peace and, and maybe that's why I can approach even the UFO thing and walk away from it consistently saying, I don't know, man. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's not as chaotic to me because I think life is chaotic to an extent. And, and you know, um, you kind of interpret that, I guess the, the way to satisfy that psychologically is just say, well, there has to be some underlying rhythm to this chaos. As crazy as the world seems, you know, uh, it's as beautiful. You just have to look for it. And if you're not, you, you get hit by the tree and you thought life sucked the whole time. But if you look for the good stuff, you hit by the tree, eh, at least you lived a good life. <laughs> if we are being monitored, I hope it's for a good cause. I hope it's to like better our situation. And people often say, well, would you want them to come in and start calling the shots? Fuck yeah, I do. <laughs> I tried the human way. It doesn't work. <laughs> right. It doesn't work. Yeah. yeah right. I often think that's, that's funny. And it's, you know, if they're superior, whatever, I'm not saying that their way would be better than living, but it looks like they're working in cooperation as opposed to us, you know, like China, there's no way they're ever going to cooperate. That's they're looking out for China, you know, uh, so there's no way really to progress. No, no, no. And, and I think you're, you're right. And, and um, you know, it, it definitely, uh, it, it's a vicious cycle and you look at stuff, um, you know, like the, the current race to into space right now and everybody's got a space force and um, underlying that. And because I, I, like I said, I, my primary deal is reporting on defense and stuff. And so you suddenly realize that the the thing that's not being discussed here, especially because just recently Russia and China announced a, a joint agreement for a moon base, you know, the United States has been talking about a moon base. You realize, holy shit, um, this is not like, hey guys, let's all set up a moon base so we can research, learn more about space and learn more about each other in life. And we can sit there and, and huddle around a space campfire you realize, holy shit, everybody's in a race because the moon is a giant treasure trove of precious resources, you know, platinum, all these different resources that you look at that and go, oh, my God, it is a very literally a gold mine. And so you got these countries that are racing for resources and you realize, fuck, you know, I hope it's not in my lifetime or my kid's lifetime. But, but you realize like space war one is coming yeah. because anytime there's resources to compete over. <laughs> yeah, it's like... I, I laugh when they announce space force um, because when I thought, mm -hmm. okay, what do you create the ships first and then you hire the crew? Do you hire the crew first and then you build the ships like, or is it already mm -hmm. done? They're just sort of like pretending as if they're recruiting people. But I mean, it's probably already been in place for a bit, but I just thought that the timing of that, of that announcement, especially during the Trump administration. And then there was more mm -hmm. stuff coming out, obviously the leak through New York times about UAPs and stuff like that. And then we got space force. It's going to be awesome and, and protect our sovereignty in space. But on their commercial, I don't know if you paid attention to him. 
It says our uh, space is constantly being contested. By who? Mm-hmm. By who? Right? Right. It's not trying to Russia. So who's contesting the space? And that's the thing. It's interesting because Space Force uh, is a good example. Um, you know, you can look at the the truth of what's going on there, and it actually makes the UFO subject more fascinating to me. But the the, the truth of what's going on there is, uh, I'm very cautious. I never say never, <laughs> although I just said it, uh, because anything can happen. But uh, I, I'm with a very high degree of confidence can say that that nobody has any like secret space force or these cool ships that and everything. And in fact, they, they unfortunately are talking about contested space in that, uh, you know, China, Russia, and the United States has got the technology. Um, France is doing, we, we did an article on that. France is doing their space trials this week um, where the contested aspect is, is zapping each other's satellites and taking them out because you realize that would, you know, Right. You can't you can't take it's it's not advantageous uh, strategy to even for the United States to try to take China head on or vice versa or anything. But you're like, shit, if I can take out their supply chain, if I can take out their satellites and I can bring a country to their knees. And so you you, you do have this new war front up there, unfortunately. And um, but again, and then it's well, you talk about that sovereignty. It's uh, you know, it, it's it's more mundane than it sounds and, and is looking down the road 50 years the way technology is moving. It could be sooner. Um, you know, just like I said, who's we, same reason that China wants to control the South China sea is for those shipping lanes. And so <laughs> they control commerce yeah. well, who's, and get Taiwan back right. too, right? Like they want sure, Taiwan big back, money. So. And so who's going to protect our shipping lanes to and from mining the moon? and from mining Mars, you know, you, you, you open up these commercial enterprises and in comes money. And uh, so I, I, I wish it was defend against aliens. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that would be cool. But, uh, you know, but see, I always I, I, even the fact that he said, or our space is constantly being contested. Mm-hmm. And then I thought about the, the recent events. Yeah, because they're underwater. Yeah, they're in the skies. They're in our atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, they fly constantly over our heads. You damn right. It's, our space is being contested, but it's not just space. It's our actual environment is being contested to a point, uh, or just the fact that we witness them and that we know they're there. Sure, I wouldn't say really contested, but we have, you know, in the past um, launched planes to intercept, mm-hmm. and sometimes those planes don't come back. And I'm just saying, you know, this whole space force thing to me, it's been a buildup. Um, of this, so when they say you know our space is being contested, again they didn't say by who, right? So sure, yeah, no, no, that that is a fair point, and and I think that that is a salient point that I would say across the board, looking at it from just the Department of Defense angle and 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 the military angle, um, is that everything that I've seen, you know, I just had this conversation with a good friend of mine, Dave Beatty who's one of those phenomenal researchers. He, he produced the, the Nimitz film on YouTube, which is great. That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Dave's a great, a great investigator. And uh, he's working on this incident that happened in 2019 with the USS kid. Um, and, you know, I know that it's very easy for people to say, it's gotta be our classified technology. It's gotta be ours because who else would it be? Cause they realized that, 
the opposite end of that is that it is another near peer uh, adversary. So China or Russia. And so that's pretty scary because that means that they could just take us out if they wanted to. But it also doesn't make sense because why, if you've got this technology, you don't fly it over to the coast of America and risk losing it. But then when you look at the responses, you look at how the incidents are treated. Uh, I told him, I was like, dude, this is not ours. Like, there's certain things you just don't do. You don't man the weapon systems, you know, preparing to, to fire if need be, if it's ours. You don't, you know, no matter how dark black it is, you, you don't turn off uh, systems. If it's new, it would be a Mod 5. If it's older, it's a Mod 4. But these are these, you know, sensors that NATO uses in their planes that let each other know, you know, friend or foe. It's called identification friend or foe. So IFF. So even if you don't know what the hell it is, you go, okay, yeah, but it's ours. And that maybe that's all you need to know. But you don't turn that off and risk, you know, somebody shooting at it. You don't conduct training against your own people and risk, you know, those, like you said, there, you know, you've sent people in planes to intercept and they haven't come back. You know, imagine the Nimitz incident, if that had been some kind of drone test, they didn't tell anybody. And those aviators had lost their lives thinking they're chasing something. I mean, they're doing their job. I think, um, right. you know, that point was really hammered home to me when I was able to interview the female wingman who has not gone on record and she's still serving. So she can't be named. Uh, but same thing she, she said on the TV show Unidentified. She told me the same thing was that, you know, when she was witnessing this tic-tac object and everything, one of the things going through her mind was that, um, you know, their planes weren't loaded. They weren't hot. So they didn't have any, didn't have guns, uh, much less missiles, was that if this thing started to pose a threat to the carrier or one of the ships in the carrier group, that she would have to consider plowing her plane into it yeah. to take it out. That's heavy shit. I mean, you yeah. think, think that was her first day, wasn't it? No, no, that she, f- no, she, she, uh, that was, um, she, um, she had been out of flight school and everything for a while. That was her first time on a carrier group. So that was her first assignment. Um, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. No, I always, <laughs> I say, I say no, no, like that because, you know, I, I I think if she wasn't in the Navy anymore, she would have gone on the record with me because, um, and I truly hope when she retires one day, she does go on the record because um, this image that people have, understandably, is from her back in 2004. I think her her call sign was the new girl. Um, But (laughs) we've had quite a number of years in between now and then, and her military career since then, you realize, wow, this is a badass. Like, this is a woman who has done things that uh, even Commander Fravor hasn't done. I don't want to say too much because I respect her, her confidence and I understand why she doesn't want to go on the record. But she, you know, she's done things that Commander Fravor hasn't done in terms of <laughs> placing themselves in harm's way. And um, she's a badass. And, and I think that hopefully when she retires, she does want to, for no other reason than people realize when she's talking about it in 2019, 2020, or, you know, so whether it was with me or whether it was blacked out for the TV show uh, and she's talking about being afraid and everything, that's 2019, 2020, this aviator. 
you know, she's not talking about herself just then. And so when she's talking about how significant this was, this is, this is a woman who's done a lot of great things in between that. And for her to still stand there and say, no, this was not us. It wasn't. See, and, and, and if that doesn't scare the shit out of you, like if a fighter pilot that's that, um, you know, qualified is telling you that this thing scared the shit out of her and there's no way that she could fight it. That is like the public should be paying attention to that. And then when you look at the other uh, video and then you hear the guy go, yeah, there's a whole fleet of them. Look on the NSA. There's a whole fucking fleet of them. Like that surprises me. But I still think that if the pilots are still scared from an event that took place in 2014 with today's technology and experience under their belts, uh, that is a huge, like you said, you could try men for murder with that sort of evidence. Sure. And I, and it's, it's easy for people who any of us, you know, I'm not a fighter pilot, um, but I do keep up with, and I, and I report on a lot of the new technologies that come out of it and everything. And for me, looking at it from that perspective, I think, gosh, this is even more significant because people have to understand these aren't, you know, this isn't your sightseeing Cessna or yeah. something. Like, it's not a fucking drone. No, these things are manufactured for the purpose of, of war and raining death upon people if necessary. They're highly integrated systems. And so it's not just, I mean, that's when you, and for me, the videos, you know, they show something. I don't know what they show, but they're not as significant to me as when you realize that these aren't. GoPros that they put on their wing of their plane and film stunts with. These are integrated weapon systems with fire control systems that where, you know, these planes are designed with all sorts of sensors that work together to the point where they can tell a pilot, okay, that is a, uh, you know, a Su-47 Russian fighter jet 50 miles away. I know it is a Su-57 because of this, this, and this. You know, I, I know exactly what it is. Uh, do you want me to kill it? And we can fire this, you know, AGM-120D missile off the wing and we can hit it 50 miles away. I mean, that's what it's designed for. They're, you know, the, the modern air warfare, it's not World War II. We've got these gun cameras and they're chasing each other and, you know, firing the, the 50 cows. No, these these things are manufactured for what's called you know, high noon shootouts. You know, just like you think in the Westerns, he who draws first wins. That's it. You know, that's why they're, it's so sophisticated. Now it's not just your skill in flying. It's the actual systems and all the sensors and their design to not mistake a commercial plane at a distance or, you know, whatever. Um, and so the fact that with all of these systems and you still have these events, and, and that technology only grows exponentially. And so, you know, 2004, that's impressive. You think about the 2015 uh, events with the Roosevelt. That's really impressive. You look at mm. and it's um, I think we're planning on bringing it out in a big feature about this USS Kid incident with Dave um, that he's found. But now we're talking about 2019. And I mean, when you're, <laughs> you're looking at these Navy ships and you're just the hardware that I'm aware of and then recognize there's a lot of shit that is classified. You're not aware of <laughs> and the hardware that they have and that they're having these incidences 
and they're seeing these things, multiple, uh, you know, they're calling them drones because they don't know what the hell else to call them. Um, but to the point where they're manning the weapon systems and they're, they're putting people on point with, with the loaded weapon systems uh, in case they need to take them out. That's, that's, it's scary. I mean, it's intriguing, you know, like, uh, well, I keep, I keep thinking of that um, Iranian case where that mm -hmm. uh, fighter pilot was uh, sent out from Iran to uh, intercept this UFO. And the minute he gets there, they order him, okay, we'll just shoot it down. And the minute he goes to shoot it down, it shuts off his plane. He starts doing a free dive before it's, it turns back on. So they just shut off your equipment. Like no matter what kind of technology you have, like, and back then we didn't have the sensors or, I mean, so many things could go wrong now on one of these planes and they're sure. constantly watching us. So they know exactly what we got. As for the debrief, <clears throat> how did that come about? The three main co-founders, me, Micah and uh, Micah Hanks and MJ Benias. Um, me and MJ were, were writing for Vice. I was also writing for Popular Mechanics and, and Micah still uh, hosts a podcast. He's a professional and does three podcast shows he's just a, a jack of all trades um and we you know we were covering the ufo topic we were interested in it but we also realized um there's a lot of fascinating and great segue because you brought up all the, the the innovative technology that goes into it and you know as we're, we're good friends we'd have these discussions on the phone and skype and stuff and you examine it and look at um, like the example you just gave where, where the gap in technology of what you're seeing, where you can just shut off the sensors, but not just that it, it's, you know, I think people get caught up on the, like, well, is it anti-gravity technology, all this stuff? <laughs> Dude, that's too simplistic. Like we don't have the material science to manufacture an aircraft now that is capable of sustained hypersonic flight continuously. We don't have it. I mean, they're, they're, I did an article on it at the first of December. Battelle is, is working on it right now. But you know, that's why you see hypersonic missiles because <laughs> it's terminal. It blow up. We don't have to fly it again. Um, see, what I was we don't have anything that could do that. I mean, and, and as advanced stuff as we have. Um, so there's science there. So you're looking at it and seeing, but there is all these novel innovative sciences that are coming out. And, um, at the same time, there's this disconnect between the world of innovative science and technology, especially not consumer technology. Of course, you know, Apple and everybody wants to say they're cool as shit. But the other stuff that's going on, especially on the breakthroughs of quantum uh, engineering, um, scientists tend to be bad at communication to the general public in that regard. Uh, but at the same time, these technologies are being working on, uh, you know, they will... We, you know, we say we, we look at disruptive technology because we mean like this is going to disrupt life. It's 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 akin to what we're doing now. I mean, we're I just told you what so 21 years ago, whenever that was this, this 20 years ago, the story of the, the tree falling on the couple, you know, there wasn't a cell phone. Well, now we're not only do we have cell phones, we can live stream with each other. Shit has become a way of life because of COVID. And so these technologies, as they advance exponentially, uh, we, we've seen, especially if you look at the social media world and all this stuff, that you know, they evolve faster than people kind of kind of adapt to. And so they become surprises. And so we wanted to create an outlet and venue where we could cover this stuff 
and, and the future in general um, in a credible way, but it, that was designed and, and packaged for just the average person because, you know, we felt like there was a disconnect there. And I, and I don't need to point any further than, you know, if you have entire flat earth societies, you know, the groups of people who, who think this, you're like, this, there's a disconnect here. And those people that you're going to mention, the, 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 the hucksters and charlatans, um, I, you know, for me personally, it, it's not what uh, harm that they might do to the investigations I'm doing or anything, because uh, yeah, I, I really pay no attention to a lot of it. It, it would probably disappoint a lot of the, the critics um, that unless like somebody tags me in something on Twitter or Facebook, I'm like, what? I don't even know who the hell this person is. Like, who? I don't whatever. Um, but the unfortunate side of it is um, I do think they do harm to their followers oftentimes because, you know, I have talked to uh, some of the people who are devout adherents to certain celebrities, let's say, and you're like, God damn, like you've spent a bunch of money, you know, going to a retreat so that you can you know, play a, a pan flute and this is going to bring the space brothers to you and, and and talking to them about the experience going to it and you realize man like th there's a kind of a religiosity to it where um you're thinking man you, you know you could have you could have spent that five grand on going to college or doing anything you know buy a car i don't give a shit do anything other than put it in the pocket of somebody who's just trying to intentionally deceive you and make money off of it and so um and then what happens when you know, there is that quasi-religious element where it's, um, you know, the Space Brothers and all of this type of stuff. Um, you know, what happens when the Space Brothers don't come down and don't, you know, what happens to those right. people when they're that devout? Right. Um, I mean, we saw that years ago with the Heaven's Gate cult. I mean, the, they committed mass suicide because they thought the Hellbot Comet was a UFO that was going to come scoop them away. Um, I, I, during my last years in law enforcement actually got called in uh, to help with a case that was not in my area, but was in Georgia. Um, and uh, this is a guy reasonably normal. You know, he uh, had a bad kind of run at things. <laughs> and you know, I think he had a wife leave him and picked up a meth habit in a matter of a week and, you know, got interested in like UFOs and suddenly, um, you know, went to probably one of the worst places if you're going to be serious about it, which was like YouTube, you know, because they're going to, they're like, once you look at one like crazy YouTube video, they've got you locked. Their logarithms are going to keep you. Um, Especially if you're high, right? Yeah. Right. And, and so he went from like zero to within three weeks, like amassing an arsenal planning on like attacking a military installation because he believed they were harvesting souls and all this stuff. And, you know, years later, uh, you know, I, I, when I talked to him, like he realized like outside of that, he was like, yeah, that was bananas. But during the time, like, I mean, once you, you know, you see it with these people that attack the Capitol and everything, like you, you start like there's yeah. all these patterns. It's it's um, it's like live action role playing. And so people who sometimes they're they're they maybe you're in a bad place whether it's depression maybe it's just different points of their life and then suddenly these 
other things come along, these charlatans or whatever, sell some type of Kool-Aid and, and it makes them feel special, but it's the, you know, it's the Pied Piper. They, they oftentimes are leading them wherever they want um, and in their best interest in actually connecting with space brothers, doing anything productive is not on that list of interests. And so I think that's part of the unfortunate side of some of it that I see. Um, yeah. I just get accused of being a, like a disinfo agent for saying that, though. Well, you're just part of the cabal then. So, well, yeah, no, but that's just somebody who's uh, <clears throat> obviously deep into that sort of, because the way I see it um, with the debrief coming out, um, I just see it as more uh, journalistic, mm-hmm. well, more journalism being done on the topic, more people stepping up to the plate and saying, look, I'm going to cover this. It needs to be this. If this turns out to be, because <clears throat> obviously you can never state absolutes. But if this turns out to lead to exactly what I think it's going to lead to, it's the biggest freaking story in human history is contact or, you know, acknowledging um, other life forms that are equally, if not more intelligent than us. And we just need to accept that it's part of nature. You know, it's not like we came here before everybody else. The universe is like 14 billion years old and the earth is only, you know, 4 billion. So, They've had plenty of time to adapt before we got here. I I agree with you and take it a step further and say that, in my opinion, any way we cut this cake. So either one's half of the cake is exactly what you just said. It is that there's something. Um, and I, you know, I'm always cautious to say what that something is. I, I really don't know. It may not be aliens. It could be interdimensional space fairies. I don't know. It could be space poltergeists. I have no clue. So either that side is true. And if it is that something, then that's, you know, like you just said, whether it's aliens visiting from afar or something else that's sentient and possesses either advanced technology or advanced superpowers, you know, they can uh, make themselves appear like a, a spaceship. That's a big fucking deal. Or <laughs> the other half of that cake is that you have people like Senator Harry Reid or Marco Rubio, the entire... Uh, armed services uh, committee, the entire intelligence committee, uh, the secretary of defense, the people who are have hold tremendous power inside the, uh, the United States government, which wields massive money and huge influence across the, the global scale and has at their disposal weapons of mass destruction to the point of destroying the world, who are all batshit fucking crazy. And so either one of those is a huge deal. Like either one of them we should want to. I think that's what has always shocked me more when I, when I started trying to cover this stuff. When I first got into it, was I'm going, like, these are the only two options, people. Either these people are batshit crazy or there's something going on. Or I guess you could throw in a third because some people, you know, subscribe to a third that this is all like a disinformation kind of uh, counterintelligence. Well, guess what? That's just as big a deal. If if they've if the government uh, has gone rogue, and not just the U.S. government, you know, other governments across the world have gone rogue, and they're going, hell yeah, let's just fool our citizens and play big games on them. That's a big deal too. There's got to be a repercussion there because I thought about this. I'm like, you know, if the government comes out and says, yeah, we knew since, you know, so and so that uh, these things have been here, we got. Uh, crash retrievals, whatever, that's also admitting all the lives that they've ruined to keep this a secret. 
And there's no accountability right now because they're still kept under wraps. But the minute it comes out, there's got to be some accountability. Like, you got to think, a big secret like that, people's lives got ruined, people got killed. Mm-hmm. It's a huge deal to try to keep that under wraps. So I think once they admit it, there's going to be more trouble. There's going to be like a Me Too movement for UFOs. <laughs> uh, I think that might happen afterwards. Sure. sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and in my honest opinion, I think if you looked at the power structure of people who are in charge, um, whether in the U.S. government level, both intelligence and defense, I personally, and I've never come across anything that's, that's led me to different. I believe that there are people who know more about it. I believe there may be, uh, there likely is evidence that uh, they can point to much more significantly than any of us and say, this is real in some fashion, whatever that is. In terms of knowing what it is, I don't think they know either. And that's scary for us and them. Um, Now, people say, yeah, but what about Roswell and all this other stuff? And I said, you know, my my answer to that is that uh, that actually the idea that the current government doesn't have a clue and there could have been something that crashed in Roswell or anything else. Those aren't mutually exclusive. Like those things can exist because in the ecosystem of classification and secrecy, and especially bureaucracy. You understand how the government works. Like it's so cumbersome and so like uber top secret shit gets lost all the time. Uh, I mean, let's, you know, let's take it to, so what's the next step down of, you know, alien life that you would be top secret? Uh, Well, nuclear weapons. So (laughs) you let one of those loose, you know, that's a big deal. but and there's news articles that reported on this when it when this all occurred. But there's a there's a some type of chemical substance that uh, is necessary in the United States nuclear warheads called fog bank. That's its code name. What exactly it is has never been made public, but evidently it's important. It's necessary for nukes. And a couple of years ago, you know, the government was just realized, you know, our fog bank probably needs to be updated, changed out because it's, it's been in the things for decades. Oh, shit. We don't know how to make fog bank and we don't even have anybody. Like, There's not a fog bank recipe anywhere. And we don't even have anybody on staff that knows how to hell to make fog bank. And I mean, like the lab that it had manufactured was shut down. The people who had done it. Yeah. The, Google fog bank and you'll nothing. And so this idea that you could have recovered, let's say, a spacecraft and holy shit, you right? know, looked at it, uh, for, especially from the lens no of the blueprints, 1940s no nothing. mindset, That's crazy. this idea that a decision could be made to package that bad boy up like the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Stick it in, um, you know, some type of contractor, private entity, so that way it's even shielded further, and then could just kind of be forgotten about by the vast majority of people working it. That's not crazy to me, yeah, because it, you fog bank shows you it can happen, um, and as crazy was it, is it would sound to people today to be like, wait, how how the hell do you? 
you, you find a name in a spaceship and you just box it up and don't say anything. And even that's not super crazy, especially if you look at the time frame. And I've uh, the article I did for Popular Mechanics, the last one I did last year, that's kind of how I ended that article. Um, because that was one of the things that somebody told me. That that's exactly what happened. And that was the first time I'd heard anybody giving me a crashed UFO story that I went, hmm, now that could make some sense. That's interesting uh, that it could get lost like that. But if you're looking at something so advanced, like you don't even have the material science to replicate whatever it is now. Um, if you're looking at it from a strategic standpoint, uh, especially in the 1940s, 1950s, 1960s, and you've got the Cold War going on and you go, look, we could spend our entire defense budget on trying to figure this out and still not be any closer than we are today. And while we're doing that, Russia is building bombers. They're building stuff. You know, box the shit up, you know, put it over here. You know, maybe one or two people scribble on the board. Uh, you know, that can be their job to try to figure stuff out. But, uh, you know, let's just kind of put all of this away because it's distracting from, you know, the more real world problems that we're facing right now. Um, that's not crazy to me. <laughs> you know, it sounds crazy to other people. <laughs> No, but you know, like like we were mentioned, like you know the the um, the amount of reports that come in where they show up, shut down nuclear facilities, and all that sort of jazz comes out at the same time as 1947 because you know Roswell, New Mexico, is where they kept all the nukes, right? So the fact that a UFO crashed right where they kept all the nukes—that's where Big Boy and all that were kept, and they were testing out nuclear bombs there, and you know the fact that it crashed there is a big freaking deal because it is linked to the nukes and the fact that even now there's an article that came out where they're saying they're trying to bait them. They put, uh, put uh, nukes on ships and then they just send the ships out to sea and the buggers show up. That that's one of the main focus is like, well, what would it crash in Roswell? Did you know what was in Roswell? And uh, were they shot down or did he have a malfunction? Who knows, but it's important. It's a, it's a huge it's a huge piece of the puzzle there. Yeah. No, and you talk about conversations that uh, you, know, you regret you never got a chance to have is, uh, and I've said this before, although very limitedly, so not people, many people know this, but my, uh, my grandfather, my dad's dad was a, uh, he was a silver plate pilot um, with the 509th bomber group at Roswell army airfield in 1947. So my oh, grandfather wow. was there at Roswell, oh, but wow. he, uh, yeah. yeah, he, he passed away. Two years before I was born. So never. And I asked my dad and he was like, you know, you know, Roswell, the, the story of Roswell didn't reemerge into like the 80s. And so <laughs> he think to ask his dad, like, hey, what the hell happened? So right. who knows? Um, but you're right. There, there definitely is. I mean, I hear that from people in government a lot. There is a nuclear component to it. Um, again, I take a very I take a, a, a more nuanced look at it because I think um, I think we first of all have to objectively accept that if we are talking about something inhuman, um, if you're going to take that hypothesis trail, well, you, you can't 
possibly interpret the mindset of something. We can't interpret what our dog is really fucking thinking. We attribute anthropomorphism and all these things to them. Uh, We can't, you know, what the hell is the deer thinking that frolics by? What is the whale in the ocean? So if you're talking about something, we don't really have any observable science. You can't associate the psychology of something that is, is, you know, fundamentally inhuman. And so I think the idea that, the, uh, you know, they're looking at us, at the, you know, our nuclear capabilities going, you guys are, <laughs> you guys are going to kill yourselves. We're here to <laughs> care for you. I'm always like, hmm. I, you know, if you were to look at, at least let's just take the last 70 plus years. So from the forties on up. So all the sightings and everything to me, uh, you know, all the evidence would point to, they don't really give a shit about us. Like they don't have any intention of landing on the white house. They're not like, they're not posing for a picture. Like they don't give a shit. Now, nuclear energy, on the other hand, uh, the sun, uh, in a very simplistic way to define it, is just a giant nuclear bomb going off. So, so nuclear radiation, uh, that is something that's prevalent throughout the universe. So like that's if you're not from here, uh, that is actually a, something that would be familiar to you no matter where you come from. And, uh, you know, I kind of liken it to if you're walking along on a, on a nature hike and you come up to like a, a, a beaver's nest or something, you're like, Hey, that's relatable. It kind of is like a house. I can figure that out. The house. It's a structure. It, it, you, right. know, it, you might investigate it more because it's familiar to you. And so, you know, these things may be, you know, there's definitely a nuclear connection and the nuclear connection may just be that nuclear fission that's relatable. Like that's, you know, you're like, Hey, I recognize that. Um, and it may have nothing to do with the fact that necessarily, um, they're worried about us blowing each other up. <laughs> like, I don't give a shit about you, but that's interesting. What's, what's going on down there. Um, you know, it could very well, you know, I've posed this to, to other people, you know, what if we're just talking about something that is, uh, you know, autonomous, you know, it, it's you know, autonomously operating. I mean, it, it's like a deep space probe, if you will, uh, self-replicating. You know, we send out probes. And so, you know, if you're, if we're designing our own space probe, so again, now I've got to look at it from our perspective and you send it out, we've got the technology to send out these scouting probes that can replicate uh, themselves and, and investigate. It just keeps going until it lands on something interesting. Um, but you've got the whole, I won't, I won't get into a long spiel here about the time space delineation, but where it left from and where it's at now, where it left from may not even fucking exist anymore. Mm. <laughs> like it, this species could have been killed off. A giant asteroid could have came. The planet could have blew up. The star could have obliterated, right. but this thing is out here. It's still going with no host body to send any info to, but where it comes from, you know, its understanding of life, reality, and everything can only come from what programmed it. It's just like our AI. We, we program it to, you know, we can only deal with what is reality to us. You know, we couldn't possibly program something in to recognize an alien species because we don't have one to, yeah. hey, look at this. And so the same thing could be the case here. You're, you're looking at something that's not programmed. You know, humans aren't in its program. 
So it's like, man, you know, piss off F-18. Like, I don't yeah. know what you are. Yeah. Uh, but nuclear, I know what that is. Like, I recognize that. You were talking to me about disclosure. I don't think, because you had an article out about, uh, will Biden be the president that has the disclosure? And I do want to ask you about that. Um, but that being said, um, all you know, we assume the presidents would have knowledge of this, but obviously based on the past is that there's a government within the government and the presidents can't control that. Like how messed up is that, that the president of the country doesn't have the clearance for that kind of information. That to me is crazy. You think he could make some decision based on that information. You're obviously a lot more into that world. You probably know why that's the case. But to me, I just always thought that was nuts that the leader of the free country is limited on like he'll get brief but he won't get the whole information right there's still well and there's a common misconception there um in reality all classification authority derives from the president and so there actually there isn't any level of classification above the president you know that you there's lots of stuff you'll see on the internet that say all these different things uh majestic clearances actually relate to a nato clearance um but there, you know, so actually, you know, like currently all classification stems from uh, an executive order signed by President Obama, uh, 13526. And so like the authority to classify everything comes from the president. So technically the president has the authority to have access to anything he wants uh, and can declassify anything, you know, he could write it on a napkin to classify. Um, now, what you said is still true in terms of what is the president aware of. And that just comes into the ecosystem of it. And so, you know, in the United States, you have this mix between the civil service. So these are bureaucrats. So these are civilian employees who work 20, 30 years um, in terms of like a president who or executive branch who the max that they can do is eight years. So if you work 30 years in government as a civil servant, you're going to work through at least three presidents, four presidents. Um, And so you're going to know more. (laughs) You're going to navigate those halls more because you're there longer. And so it comes down to what is on. I think the truth is more mundane than people realize. comes into what does the president ask about? What does somebody really dig into and ask or go through all the halls and everything? And at the end of the day, kind of the, the, the president's daily activities are just jammed full of all sorts of shit. Sir, we had X number of people die of COVID. Sir, by the way, Iran said F you and they want to bomb us. By the way, North Korea, we just got intel. They're building a new nuke. Uh, oh, yeah. And China did this. And, you know, so there's this litany of stuff. And. All of these um, are, you know, when you're sitting in that chair, they're more pressing. And I know that sounds weird, um, but, you know, when you're sitting there and they're saying, you know, well, Iran just funded a bunch of rebels who just launched a bunch of rockets at our soldiers or whatever. And Russia just hacked all our shit. You know, these are things where people's lives are being impacted, like right now. Oh, by the way, there's some shit that zipped through the sky and we got some data on it. Did it do anything? Nope. Okay, great. Next, you know, <laughs> because it's not pressing. And 
know, that was, uh, I had a chance to interview one of the senior advisors for the secretary of defense uh, to the white house. And, who was there in 2017 before Lou Elizondo left. And, and, you know, he, he talked to me about being briefed by Elizondo multiple, multiple times. And um, he, you know, he said, look, uh, I didn't doubt any of the information was true. He said, and he even tipped something off that it's never really been revealed. Uh, You know, because I asked him, of course, like, well, did you see more than just the three videos? Come on. And he just said, you know, I'm not going to get into specifics, but I saw a lot. And uh, he said, you know, this person was a former uh, service member in the military, had a position, was a fighter pilot. And so he had even some extra background. And he said, you know, it's hard. I don't when I'm seeing things that's being captured by multiple sensors, uh, it's hard for me to explain, you know, what's going on. So that's the first time, multiple sensors, wait a minute, we only know about a video, hang on, let's talk about that. But when I ask him, you know, well, why, because there's a reason that Lou Elizondo is telling me that he quit is because he was pissed because nobody wanted to take it to the sec death and, you know, it's kind of getting buried. I'm like, you know, he was the gatekeeper. So what, why? And the truth was really mundane, (laughs) but made sense. And he said, you know, ma'am, we had just come in and because uh, 2017, you just had a transfer of power. Uh, Trump had just been elected. So you had all these people that needed to be confirmed. You had all these people who were you know, either just getting into their offices or still waiting to get into their offices. Um, and you had, you know, he said you had North Korea at the time, saber rattling. You had Syria raging on. He's like, man, it, it, maybe it sounds bad, but. We had all this other shit to deal with (laughs) and, you know, like bringing this, just the timing wasn't right because we didn't have all the right people in the right seats in terms of their permanent positions. And we had all this other stuff going on and that was more pressing. And that's why it didn't get moved there. And I think that general attitude legitimately permeates through government for decades, I've told people you could, if you look at uh, you know some of the combat commanders. So you're looking at somebody or the Joint Chiefs of Staff. You're looking at people who very literally spent their entire lives to get where they are. You know, starting back in you know when they were in junior ROTC in high school, and then they went to West Point, and then they so they're there 30 years. You know, they've got four stars on their shoulder. They realize. I'm, I'm here for a couple more years and this is it. You know, I retire like this is I've reached the pinnacle. And then if you hand them you know, here, here's this file, sir. We captured this photo of a, a triangle coming out of water. We don't have a fucking clue what it is. You know, all the intercepts and everything say it's not this and this. And <laughs> the idea that, that that general could look at that and be like, well, what am I supposed to do with this? What am I? <laughs> Like this is not that breaks. I'm retiring in two years. Right. Like I'm, this is not what I've spent my whole, I've I've spent my whole life preparing to defend us, to fight wars, to, to make strategic decisions, to do acquisitions. And you're going to bring me this shit. Like, I tell you what, this looks great. And the next guy, make sure you hand that to him, (laughs) but I'm not dealing with it because it's too, (laughs) <laughs> what about, there's also the religious aspect too within um, the, the, the community of service, the, the, the government. 
because there's a lot of fundamental Christians in there that if you bring up the subject of UAPs, that does not fit in the narrative of what they constitute as reality. Do you think Biden will be the president that under his leadership, something bigger will, I'm not saying full disclosure, because that's wishful thinking, uh, but just bigger news, do you think that would be under the Biden administration? Sure. Uh, yeah, me and me and Tom Rogan, who, who's a good friend of mine, excellent journalist over the, the Washington Examiner. Um, he's probably one of the few other, my, my compatriot in, in pushing the, the UAP news at, at a mainstream level and within government. Um you know, we wanted to do that op-ed because you, you realize with a lot of the stuff that was going on, so whether it's acknowledging you have this UAP task force, whether it's saying that you've got to submit this report uh, in supposedly in June right now. And the other side of it, um, and, and I haven't had a chance to report on it because oftentimes, you know, these people who are still in the military, they can't go on record by policy that <laughs> you can't, uh, right. which I understand <laughs> you don't need, you know, soldier Bob going off at the hip about some shit that happened. Um, but, uh, you know, they can't go on record, but, but I'm, you know, talk to Navy sailors who like it's it organically comes up in conversation and it's so frequent, you know, I'm talking to them about the latest, you know, sea hunter ship, whatever, or the, you know, the, the later, the F 35s combat trials, they just flew an engine in and landed on a carrier. So I'm talking about that and I'm on, Oh yeah, by the way, what's up with this, all this UFO stuff. And they're like, Oh yeah, the aliens, bro. Oh yeah. See them all the time. And they're not bullshitting. They're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, you know, yeah. talk to so-and-so they're, they're an air traffic control, man. They're, you know, they've clocked them 1600, 2200 knots. Oh yeah. Like we, the lights we see. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, like, and I'm not just talking about one or two. I'm talking about like dozens yeah. who you bring it up. Military culture. Yeah, yeah, right? you bring it up. And they're like, yes. oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We see that shit all the time. And they're like, yeah, we've told command. They look at the radar tracks. They're like, what the fuck is that? So it's yeah. so frequent that, you know, our idea was like at some point, I mean, it's got to come to a head at some point. And, yeah. um, you know, like we pointed out, like this is something that's been a can they've been kicking down the road for a long time. Um, it does there reach a point where you, you either have to come out and say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing here. And half of our entire defense infrastructure is, is fucking crazy. <laughs> They're hallucinating. <laughs> there's, I don't, I don't know that that builds confidence, you know, or do you come out and say, you know, there's something here and with a high degree of confidence, it's not China, it's not Russia, it's not, you know, Iran, um, you know, within those circles, they recognize that, you know, it's, it's not Russia because Russia's broke, you know, <laughs> they don't have yeah. the... Not Putin, Putin's rich, but Russia's right, broke. Right, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, they don't, you look at... Uh, I mean, look at like their their Su fifty seven, their their next generation fighter jet. Which I did an article on that because one of their retired, you know, esteemed aviators was saying it would easily kill the F thirty five. But then you have to get past all the propaganda where he's like, if it, it would easily kill them if it was like a head to head dogfight. But all the sensors and everything F thirty five would totally destroy this plane. But they can only make one a year. 
You know, like they just don't. Have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you watch your ass in 68 years, right. buddy. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it reminds me of, because I'm a big World War II history buff too. And, and so being here in Germany, you get a chance to hear the other side of the war. And it was, it's interesting because, uh, you know, just like in the States, veterans are dying off, but some of the old Germans that you interview and they, you know, they say that, you know, even their technology, their panzers were better. You know, they could defeat, you know, one panzer could defeat, you know, 10 U.S. Shermans but the U S always had 11. So the same thing is, you know, we've right. got hundreds of F 35s. We've, we've got F 22s and we discontinued them. Um, you know, they're just struggling to, to produce one possibly stealth jet. Um, analysts are split on that. We've, we've retired stealth planes, you know, the F 17 <laughs> served 30 years. We retired that bad boy. It's in museums now. So right. the idea it could be Russian is, bananas um and yeah it's definitely not canada i just want to put that out there <laughs> i don't know we have one plane we have one plane there's a comedian that made a joke that said um you know the canadian army has uh two functional submarines west edmonton mall has three fully functional submarines <laughs> <laughs> yeah we we have a very pitiful army i mean the army men and women are great but we just don't have the budget like every time i show up at a, an air show in abbotsford it's pretty big yeah. everybody's there uh germany united states are showing off all their stuff cyclone planes and then you see the little tents of the canadian military and you're just like watching the little green jeeps that we have and you're like we're so fucked <laughs> Like Russia could just come over and we're done. <laughs> like, I, I don't think we have the technology to, you know, nowhere near UFO capabilities. But even that being said, because we live right by the mm -hmm. border of the United States, we got those uh, black triangles. Mm -hmm. I, I investigate them here all the time. They're everywhere. And that is something um, I just uh, last week, I think, um, finally got a chance to connect with and talk to David Marlar, who has actually literally written the book on uh, estimate the situation with the, the triangle shaped UFOs. And, and uh, if you get a chance, he's a great person to talk to. I mean, there's probably nobody more knowledgeable. And in fact, we, we, we did a Skype call in his office and I'm like, what? I've never, never seen so many UFO files. <laughs> just, oh, wow. Well, well, he, he, yeah. you know, there's this big, big dick swinging contest amongst researchers. I always laugh at it. Uh, so I'm not saying anything I wouldn't say to their face. How big is your file? Yeah, yeah. Like, who's got the biggest file? It's not about the size of the file, guys. It's about the right. content. <laughs> but so, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get hazed by any of these others who believe they have bigger files. Who, uh, But Marlar's definitely looks like the biggest I've ever seen. And, uh, you know, we had a chance to discuss it. And I told him, I said, the, the triangle thing really perplexes me because it's easy to say, yeah, but it's got to be secret technology because look at the B-2 stealth bomber. It's a big triangle or the F-117 or the new RQ drones. Yeah, No, they're not. They're not triangles. They're delta mm -hmm. wing. And, and in fact, uh, you know, the, the perfect triangular shape is not like we don't know. We do not know how to make that aerodynamically work <laughs> to get that off the ground. We don't have a triangle. Um, we have these delta wing craft, but it's not. Uh, by any means the the best method to go about designing an aircraft you know, we do it for low observability and so you've got it stealth 
But, you know, the B-2 bomber doesn't get off the ground if it's not for all of its fancy computer systems. And in fact, um, a couple of years ago, they had one crash on takeoff in Guam, I believe, because uh, it got moisture in one of the sensors. Like this billion-dollar plane and, and little water took it out. But it's necessary. Like it needs all these sensors even to get off the ground uh, because the shape is just not. I mean, that's why we're... You know, that's why they have 35s and these new planes. They're, they're planes, <laughs> you know, they're not these Delta wings. Yeah. But, you know, so to have this perfect triangle shape and then going back years, you're going. <sighs> Tons. I've had people contact me and they're saying, look, in 1978, I was at this park with my girlfriend and we looked up and there's a giant triangular craft flying above us and never made any noise. Uh, I, I get other people coming in like, yeah, I saw them too on a road trip to here. And it, like I pinpoint all the areas, but everybody's like, oh, no, it's the TR-3B, supposedly the very secret military craft that everybody knows about. But I say bullocks because Canada doesn't have the TR-3B. At TR-3B, can it go underneath the water, emerge out of the ocean for pilots to be able to take pictures of? Like that to me just sounds so fucking far-fetched. Like I don't think it's military. I think... There's a presence of these black, Phoenix, Arizona. Look at the size of that ship. Um, again, that wasn't military, right? Okay, no, there's just flares. Nope. <laughs> so that one is I'm actually keeping up with. And I know that uh, you guys most likely are going to report on that some more, especially when I think Christopher Mellon's able to coax whoever has that picture to release it. Uh, yeah. Hopefully it's this year. Hopefully it's this year. That'd be great. I hope so. I just, I just, uh, somebody asked about it and, I don't have, a, I'm not, uh, I don't get to engage on Twitter or Facebook as much as I would like. Cause I do enjoy, I like to answer questions for people. I like, you know, I don't, you know, as much as I can, but, but, uh, somebody asked about that. I think there was a rumor going around that I was going to be releasing it soon. I'm like, who the hell started that? Like, I don't have one. Like, you know, uh, that's, you know, the, the assurance I can give people is that, you know, Look, if I get a hold of that photo, we'll do just like we did last time. Like we will release it immediately. Um, and I think, uh, you know, because we the one photo that we did release, uh, you know, <laughs> that one caused all the controversy because it was, is it a Batman balloon? Is it this and that? It, it, but, and some people were mad. It's like, it's not a it's not a goddamn <laughs> flying yeah. saucer landing. And I'm like, dude, you know, we started this as a news organization, still are. And so our object is to try to present credible, newsworthy events. Uh, I will you know, testify in front of God and country that that photograph came from the UAP task force and was contained in an intelligence document submitted by them. Um, now, what it is and all those things, and I, and I got in depth in kind of on Twitter saying that you have to understand that the reports these contained weren't granular things that were provided all sorts of information. Um, anyway, to the people who received them, that's only the people who had them and prepared them would have that. But either way, like this was one of theirs. That's newsworthy. And we're going to, you know, we're going to put it out there. We're not researchers. You know, that's the thing. We're putting it out there for the people like yourself, for the researchers out there to do kind of that heavy lifting work. Um, but we'll try to uncover that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, assuredly, if, if that, crystal clear triangle photo and it comes out. Uh, 
if, if, if you if you work for the counterintelligence agency or the government, turn and turn, stop listening now. Um, but we'll put it out. And, you know, uh, and I think, um, you know, whether it'll come out or not, I, I don't know. I, I do know that. Uh, and I think, you know, that was one of the things that me and Tom Rogan discussed a lot is that like that photo went viral in the intelligence community because like, holy shit, you know, passed around. Uh, so, I mean, within this, the, these DC suburbs where you have total neighborhoods of people who, you know, work at different agencies and everything like they're talking about it because they've seen it and everything. Um, but producing it is a whole nother story. But see, yeah. But even that picture, I thought that some people's critiques is that they weren't using logic there. How fast does a jet go fly? Yeah. Right. And right. you need to tell me that the pilot saw a balloon and thought, I'm going to take out my phone and then started angling to focus on it, to take a picture of a fucking balloon at that speed. Like, again, the logic isn't there. And, you know, from the distance, that 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 must have been a huge Batman balloon. That must have been huge. So, again, the logic that they're trying to, to put through, to me, doesn't make sense. Uh, that plane would have gone so freaking fast. That balloon would have been, oh, I thought I saw a balloon there. Um, much less have time to take out your phone and take a picture of it. It, it. it was not a Batman balloon. I can tell you that. Bottom line. It was not, and I understand people, you know, well, but, but if you put the balloon up there, you know, if you put the Batman balloon, it, it, it well, fuck yeah. If you put a, a plaster cast of a face next to the face on Mars, it looks like it. Like it's called pareidolia <laughs> for a reason, and, you know, like that's, but I mean, oh, that would got me laughing. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you, it's not a Batman balloon. And, it's Jesus. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. There, there's, uh, you know, there's other imagery or other info about that. And it's not a Batman balloon. Now, could it be a high altitude balloon? Maybe. I don't know. I wasn't there. Like Tim wasn't in the front seat of the cockpit. I can say that the protocols that occur when you have you encounter a balloon weren't adhered to. And, and in fact, we uh, I have a real good relationship with the Navy Warfare Air Warfare Safety Center, um, and so I got them to give me all of the the has reps so these are hazard reports um safety reports that are filled out um for the last 18 years it was god it was like fourteen thousand entries so just reams of shit and, and there are incidences where you have pilots encounter high altitude balloons where they're not supposed to be and it's a it's a pretty labor-intensive process like they fill out this report this report goes to one commander this report goes to another commander like there's recommendations like how do we prevent this from happening blah blah blah. there is none for that incident so (laughs) they those pilots definitely didn't think it was a balloon and again you're just like you said i wasn't there um you know it was obviously interesting to them um I don't know, you know, but, but we, we try to do our due diligence. We talked to, uh, at least we talked to a couple, we, we quoted one, uh, who expert that uses high altitude, uh, atmospheric balloons. And, you know, he said, I think it's probably, I forget what type that he named. Um, but you know, he's just having to base it off of what he's looking at in just that photo. Um, yeah, there's more info. Why? that was contained in an Intel report. What other interesting features, actions that went on that even made those pilots photograph it and submit it like that? I don't know. I, I don't. 
right. again, it's never applying logic or reason to things that are being put out. It's it's react reactions that people have. Um, and I saw that because everybody poo pooed on it. And I'm like, no, I even came up with um, a drawing that I thought would so like if it's a corner of a cube and you have like some sort of distortion, that's exactly what it looks like. And yeah, if you put the Batman balloon, it'll look like it, but that's not what it looked like to me. Like I said, it's just people's opinions. Yeah. Because there's certain things that are visible in there, like the pilot's helmet. You know how fucking big a pilot's helmet is. Like you can measure that. You know, the, the dimensions are right. online. You can find right. that or the rivets in that F-18 or, or the canopy. And so you can get a rough estimate of, okay, here is the length of, you know, what this is at, at this depth yeah. when the picture is taken. And so now if this object is, you can start approximating how far it would be is trigonometry. So you can start measuring. So if, I know if this is right here is a foot at, a thousand feet, because the first thing is, is the pilots, you know, by by regulation, by FAA regulation, military, they're not going to fly closer than a thousand feet from it. And so it's at least a thousand feet away. And so you can start applying, well, I know the distance here and now a thousand feet away. And yeah, you know, you look at whatever that Batman balloon was, three feet, four feet. I don't know. Either way, like the, the math doesn't add up now yeah and so and the speed of the plane like i I, you're sitting at the front of the plane you don't see any of it it's like as if you're being pushed by this massive motor like the speed is phenomenal and again if i'm the pilot where the fuck do i have my cell phone right you know it's probably in my pocket i have to open my pocket and aim it and shoot it with my phone at that speed right you already would have passed that balloon at that speed well, you probably wouldn't have seen it at that altitude and at that speed. So again, like I said, a lot of the logic that people have tried to use to me doesn't make sense. What's the plans for uh, the debrief this year? Do you guys have any big stories lined up? Is there are you guys taking more people on board? Disclosure. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> no. No. We, we're we're we are all of the above. I mean, we're, we. Um, I, I still have some big stories. Um, that I have in the works, uh, you know, that would be interesting to the UFO community. Um, a lot of them are labor intensive and time intensive. And I, and I always try to point out to people, um, you know, like for me, I, it's usually on par for like two, two big ones a year, but that's because it just depends on how much goes into it. If you look at the fast movers article or the, that uh, when we released the photo, that was accumulation of like a year and a half worth of work. <laughs> and right. so, right. um, Tons of editing too, I bet. Oh yeah. Well, a lot goes into it because you want to make sure that uh, even if you can't name sources, you have to kind of work in these parameters where you have to make a decision like to go with the best that you have, but you want to make sure that the information is accurate and valid. Um, And so that takes a lot of time. And so, but we do have a couple of of big ones there. Um, And we are, we're, 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 uh, you know, we've been very fortunate, you know, that, things keep growing. Uh, so in addition to, uh, you know, not just UFO news by any means, I think that, and we've always said that if we went out to just report UFO news, uh, you know, the only way you'd be able to sustain that is suddenly we're going to have to report, start reporting about some crazy shit that right. is make believe because you just can't sustain it. So if you want to be credible with it, you understand that that, so yeah, we, we have a lot of other writers that are, that are, um, coming in either freelance contributor contributors. We, um, 
we have some professional uh, authors that are coming in contributing and stuff. So we, we got a lot of cool stuff that's coming out there. Uh, and we always encourage people, you know, let us know about cool stuff. Like we're, you know, we are spread all out there. There's a couple of us, uh, MJ and Chrissy, they're in Canada. You know, I'm in Germany. Micah's in North Carolina and we're all over the country. Um, and so we, we cover a good space, but we can't cover it all. And so, you know, people hear cool stuff that's coming out. And especially, you know, our thing is to give the voice to that kind of novel science that's maybe not making it in nature, but, but it's still credible science. Um, people hear about that. You know, we love covering that kind of stuff, but, but we definitely, hopefully, you know, keep expanding. Um, and we're going to add a couple more YouTube shows coming up here soon, maybe a, a audio podcast to go with it. And um, who knows? It's cool to have you guys on board. Like I say, I compliment you guys every chance I get because it's a big deal. It's a big deal that you guys are doing this. And like I said, it's building up momentum. You guys are helping doing that a lot. So thanks, Tim. No, anytime. And, and yeah, I'll be happy to maybe next time we can do one just on just on investigation. Because I know that's what you said. The UAP studies is like, let's cover. Uh, there's no secret sauce to what I do. <laughs> I don't hide it.